When my husband and I moved to Marin and then decided to move our church community to Marin, I was exploring the different parishes in my new home to see where I might be hanging my hat as a deacon. And it was great to be traveling around and traveling incognito, trying to get a sense of the character of each place. And I think it's good to be reminded that, you know, we really are a big extended family. And we should always be on guard against a parochialism that can sometimes infect our little communities. But it was great fun, and I learned a lot. But one of the big learnings for me was when I sat down with Christopher Martin, the rector of St. Paul's in San Rafael, and discovered his passion for discipleship groups. He got started with the idea when he was living in Washington, D.C., and was attending a non-denominational church founded by Gordon Cosby called Church of the Savior, not to be confused with Church of Our Savior, same Savior. Um, Discipleship groups are small. They're about five to ten members each who meet weekly and commit to a common discipline. And there seems to be a new energy in the church for what is often called the new monasticism. Brother Richard Edwards' membership in the Brotherhood of St. Gregory is just one example. It's a way of being together in community and helping one another live into a deeper Christian life that differs from what we commonly think of when we think of the convents or the monasteries of St. Benedict or Teresa of Avila with their strict communal living arrangements and their vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, which may be fine for some, But what about the rest of us living in the world with jobs and families who aren't called to celibacy or wearing the same dress every day? You know, which would be a deal breaker for me, you know, because I'm kind of (laughs) shallow. Anyway, in the discipleship group, one of the commitments is to 20 minutes of prayer every day. And that's not a quick, now I lay me, you know, when you crawl into bed, but a real commitment to prayer. And the second commitment is to one hour of service per week. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But Christopher is adamant that service without prayer just leads to burnout. So I have become a member of a discipleship group. And I'm meeting once a week. And I'm praying my heart out and exploring different ways of praying. And perhaps as time goes on, we can talk about what that might mean here at Church of Our Savior, if anybody's interested. But I'm also thinking a lot about what it means to be in community in a different way. So, this prayer thing. Every Sunday, we gather here for prayer and worship. We have beautiful liturgies that have connected us through the ages to the Christ, the one in whom we live and move and have our being and we become a family, we care about one another. Or as one of the parishioners in a church that I was visiting said, where when you get sick, somebody will bring you a sandwich. Mm -hmm. We unabashedly participate in these ancient rituals and we share our sacred meal. And our Book of Common Prayer is a rich resource for prayer life, not the least of which are the daily offices. And I've tried to maintain a discipline of morning prayer and evening prayer, and most of the time, I love praying that rich tradition, saying the words of the Venite or the Jubilate, which over time become embedded in our bones. 
And if you ponder the daily scripture readings, you will find that over a two-year period, you've pretty much read the whole Bible. Again, it's that connection to our shared history and tradition that undergirds how we see the world and shapes what we value and how we act. But, to be honest, sometimes it feels like I'm eating dry toast, and I don't think I'm alone in that. But there is something to powering through those dry times that eventually turns it into a feast of awareness. But let's face it, it's a lot of words. At my last discipleship group, Christopher gave me the book, uh, Prayer for Dummies. You know, he's, <laughs> he says it's really good, uh, despite the title, and it gives a good overview of the different types of prayer. And it's a good thing he gave it to me, because I don't think I would have had the nerve to take a book with that title up to the cashier, but that's another story. But among other things, the methods that we've been talking about in the group is the ancient practice of centering prayer which has seen a resurgence in the writings of Thomas Keating and Cynthia Bourgeau. Centering prayer is prayer without words, prayer without thought. It's just sitting in the silence for a designated period of time. Now, there may be an anchoring word that is used when you notice that your thoughts have intruded, and you can use that word as a way to return to that space of silence and of presence but it's a prayer of listening. Now, a few months ago, I had the privilege of attending a talk by the Celtic theologian John Philip Newell at Dominican University. And I've been reading his works on the development of Celtic theology and practice that unfortunately finished second in the wars for people's minds and spirituality. But since it never really died out, it's finding a resurgence in Christian thought. The Iona community in Scotland is a place of pilgrimage for many. And perhaps some of you have been there. I, unfortunately, have not yet. But the Celtic tradition views God as permeating all aspects of life. God is everywhere present, coursing through our very veins, uniting everything that is in the reality of God. The 4th century theologian Pelagius wrote, Everywhere, narrow shafts of divine light pierce the veil that separates heaven from earth. And he uses the image of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, leaning his head on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper, listening for the heartbeat of God, which inspired a tradition of listening for God at the heart of all life. And we hear that in the scripture readings today. In Jeremiah, it's pretty obvious that the Hebrew people knew that. He writes, Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us. God is as near to them as their very breath, and yet they still aren't listening, and they keep running them up. And we see the poor Pharisee in the temple just trying to be a good Jew, just like all of us here gathered today. We're saying our prayers. We're tithing our goods. We're trying to get it right. We spend a lot of time talking and doing. But maybe we need to spend a little more time listening for that heartbeat of God. 
because as good as the Pharisee is, and I have no reason to think that he isn't really trying to do what's right, he's still missing the mark. After all, this parable has given Pharisees a bad rap, but they really were trying to live into the law as they understood it. They were trying to keep Judaism from devolving into something sinful and unrecognizable. But what if the Pharisee had shut up for a while and sat in the presence of God and know that God was filling his very being? What then? What would have happened then? Would he have been able to look at the tax collector with judgment Or would he have been able to see a fellow child of God in need of mercy? And while we're at it, what about that tax collector? He feels like a real louse. He's begging for mercy. But I wonder what happens to him when he leaves the temple. Does he leave a changed man? Or does he go back to the tax collecting because, after all, a man's got to eat. But at least he'll feel bad about it. But will he, at some point, be able to hear the heartbeat of God in his own breast and follow what he hears to a new beginning? And here's where we get to the next commitment of the discipleship group, the part about service. I think a lot about that. As many of you know, I have spent my career working in public health with people who have few resources and lots of medical, substance abuse, and mental health problems. Many of them are homeless. And I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what needs to be done to end this crisis of homelessness. And as the years have gone by and my understanding of the issues has grown, it often seems a problem too big to solve. But at the heart of that has been the opportunity to be in relationship with people whose lives are so very different from my own. I started a food pantry that still exists today. I've worked in a food program at one of my former parishes that cooks and serves a hot meal every Saturday morning to 100 people who are living in the park or just trying to get by on the meager income that they have. And yes, people have gotten food that they otherwise might not have. But if all we did was give out food, we would be missing the most important thing, which is the human connection. It's easy to show up and give something away and then go home and thank God that you aren't in that situation. Because that's uncomfortably close to what the Pharisee was doing, although maybe not as harsh. But it's harder to make a human connection and to become vulnerable yourself, to hear another story and to share your own and to put yourself out there to work for change. So... I will continue to go to my discipleship group and make my, com- my commitment to service. But I think there is more to the prayer practice than just avoiding burnout. I think it's an opportunity to listen to the heartbeat of God and allow myself to be led into what I am being called to do. Because I am convinced that there's more to be done that it isn't enough to volunteer once a week and give out a meal or whatever without doing some important discernment around what needs to be done to make sure that people don't need a handout in the first place. And I'm expecting my little group of disciples to help me wrestle with that. 
And it isn't that we here at Church of Our Savior and all of them are in congregations. Isn't this what we're trying to do? I'm new here, but already I'm grateful to be in a place that has a heart for service and a community that's trying to figure this out. And I would like to suggest that we spend some more time listening for that heartbeat of God, that we stop and listen long enough until our inner godness calls us by name and leads us into that place in which we are being called to act. Because it doesn't end in the silence. It ends in our acts of mercy. It ends, as Paul reminds us, when we are being poured out as a libation, when we know that we are so filled with the mercy of God that we can do nothing else but do God's will. And it ends when our own hearts beat with the heartbeat of God. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.